Good morning. Uh, just a little heads up. The message this morning is sponsored by the fine people at Dayquil and Ricola. So uh, you're going to have to bear with me trying to work my way through uh, something that has visited our house. Uh, Terry's on day six. I'm on day four. Uh, so we're hoping that this all comes to an end soon or that Jesus comes today and will never be sick again. Amen. <laughs> Well, would you open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 20. Acts 20, we'll look at verses 13 through 24 this morning. And with the commotion about the way in the rearview mirror now, Paul and his traveling companions have headed for Greece, including Luke, who wrote the book of Acts. And Paul begins his final farewell to some of his traveling companions as he intends to head for Jerusalem in time for Pentecost. Now, his farewell address is going to require two weeks of our attention, so we'll begin this morning so we can examine fully as he both greets the Ephesian elders personally and instructs them doctrinally with some closing thoughts and words that we'll look at in detail next week. Now, in our last section... Of Acts 20, we found in verses 1 through 12 that Paul had taught for some six hours. And a young man named Eutychus fell asleep during his teaching, fell out of the third story window and was killed when he uh, died on impact, basically. And Paul, in following the example from the Old Testament of both Elijah and Elisha, laid on the young man with his own body, prayed over him, And life re-entered into the young man. And then they gave Eutychus something to eat and continued the conversation about the greatness of God, the miracle they had just seen until dawn of the next day. Now, we made two observations from our text last week before we shared in communion together. And it was kind of interesting. I was telling some of the folks in the back that it seems like it doesn't matter how much I try and shorten my message to accommodate communion. We always go along anyway. So, But last week we had a wonderful time at the Lord's table and in His Word. We made these two observations. Here's the first, that God can and will use anyone who wants to be. Now, as we met Paul's ministry team, we noted that they were men from six different cities, therefore six cultural experiences, possibly various languages, even though obviously the dominant language and diplomatic language of the day was, of course, Greek. There was a man from a city where they were uh, labeled by Scripture as being more fair-minded than other people concerning the Word of God, that being Berea. We noted there was an aristocrat as well as a slave from the city of Thessaloniki. Two men who were very close to the pillars of the church, that being Paul and John the Beloved. And then men whose names described them as both fortunate and another man named well-fed or nutritious. Now, God used all of them in one way or another as they served alongside and even under the covering of Paul, even with their different socioeconomic statuses in life, God wants to use all of us and all of us are called to serve him. Now, in Ephesians 2.10, we are reminded that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Remember, walk is a metaphor for living out our Christian life and experience. Now, when we became new creations in Christ and began to walk in newness of life, that newness of life came with good works that are individually prepared for each of us to do for God's name and glory. Now... In light of this intimidating truth, we noted secondly last week that every Christian, say every Christian, every Christian has exclusive access to divine power. Now, while there are many things that the exclusivity of the Christian faith offers to those who follow, there are certain things that we ought to highlight and be ever mindful of, including the fact that we can do all things through Christ who will strengthen us. Now, as we mentioned last week, when we think or say things like, I don't think God can use me, 
We're not revealing our self-perception, but rather we're revealing our God perception. God can use anyone, and he has long been using fallen, doubting, and fearful men and women, since that's the only option that he has, because we all fall in those categories. Amen? Now, our title for the next two weeks is getting more and more timely and appropriate, literally, by the minute. As things seem to be winding down, and the time of the Gentiles is about to come to an end, followed by the beginning of the 70th week of Daniel. Now, our topic is Paul's stated desire in our closing verse of our time this morning, and it should be our desire as well, now more than ever, and that is to have, and here's our title, a strong finish. We want to have a strong finish. I just want to be able to finish these two services today, uh, and God will supply the power. Amen? Now, Paul employs one of his favorite athletic metaphors, That is of running the race as an illustration of the Christian calling in life. And we are reminded and mindful of the fact that with any long distance race like we're in now until the Lord comes for us, I believe as a group, runners who are long distance trained have a reserve of strength that is called the kick that they wait for the end so they can have a strong finish. Well, listen, I believe It is time for the church to initiate the kick. It is time for all of us, as the race is nearing the end, we have a little time left to either make up for any lost time or wasted time and to do all we can to fulfill the works that God prepared for each of us to walk in. Now, Paul would later write in the last chapter of his last letter before his own death to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me only, or not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I would love for the Lord to appear today and for us to meet him in the air and for us to ever be with him. Now, Paul knew his life was about to end when he wrote to Timothy, and his focus, therefore, was on that day that he himself would stand before the Bema seat of Christ as the righteous judge would ask for an account of what Paul did with his life and through the calling and works God had prepared for him. Now, as I mentioned last week, so we will reintroduce the thought this morning, we need to be doing all we can to eliminate any regrets over unfulfilled commitments and callings in our lives and do all that we can to have a strong finish for Jesus is coming soon. So let's learn some things from Paul about how to do Just that, to finish well, to finish strong, as he addresses the Ephesian elders for the last time until he sees them again in heaven. So would you stand and read with me, please, from Acts chapter 20, verses 13 through 24. Acts chapter 20, verse 13. Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Azos, They're intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he met us at Azos, we took him on board and then came to Mytilene. We sailed from there and came the next day, uh, next day came opposite to Chios. The following day we arrived at Samos and stayed at Trogilium. The next day we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church, and when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept that nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly 
and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And Lord, thank you for this incredible text this morning and next week. And we thank you for all of your word, of course, and we're grateful that each word on every page is divinely inspired and therefore is profitable. So Lord, we pray that your word would profit this morning in our own lives and that you would give us ears to hear what is being said by your Holy Spirit through the written word and spoken as well. We thank you for this time and opportunity this morning through this text. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, I'm sure many of you have heard some years ago that Chuck Missler had uncovered something rather magnificent in Genesis chapter 5, where we have a genealogy that is listed as he makes his way through what's called the genealogy of Adam through a list of sons born, beginning with uh, Adam who was created and then his son Seth who was born after him all the way down through Noah. And the names listed there are Adam, Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Mahalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. And Mitzler uncovered behind the meanings of these names something rather interesting And Adam means man, Seth means appointed, and on down the line. Many of you know that Noah means comfort, but with the addition of a couple of connectors, what the genealogy in Genesis chapter 5 says is man is appointed mortal sorrow. The blessed God shall come down teaching. His death shall bring the despairing comfort. That's a pretty radical message, wouldn't you say? This is a list of sons born over a period of 1,500 years. And God is communicating to those or through those names. And the fact is, ever since I heard Missler teach on this, I have learned and believe that there is nothing that is to be overlooked in Scripture, including a travel itinerary like we have in verses 13 to 16. Now... I don't know that we're going to get as magnificent of a message from the cities listed here. But the fact is, there's something that is not necessarily hidden, but there is a clear lesson that we can learn. We're told that Paul had left Troas. And he walked some 20 miles to Asos, where Luke and the others had gone by ship. And for whatever reason, Paul wanted to go on foot. And he sent the rest of his team on the ship. We don't know. But it was likely Paul just wanted some time to himself and with the Lord as he traveled on foot this 20-mile uh, trek. And then eventually the whole group would arrive together in Miletus, which was about 30 miles from Ephesus. Now, Paul, as he said, was in a hurry to get to Jerusalem. He'd already attempted to get there a couple of years earlier on Passover and missed that opportunity. And he didn't want to miss being in Jerusalem for Pentecost. So he began this trek. And Luke records records for us a series of island hopping through uh, these Greek isles in sequential days at Mytilene, Chios, and then he docked at Samos and stayed on the mainland of Trogilium and finally arrives in Miletus where Paul sends words to the elders of or word to the elders of Ephesus to come and make the 30 mile walk to meet him there for a parting word in Miletus that is. Now, we're going to encounter the same type of scenario when we arrive in Acts chapter 21 as Paul finally sets sail for Jerusalem. He has multiple stops. He has multiple interruptions, multiple delays along the way as he continued in his rush to get to Jerusalem for Pentecost Sunday. Now, there's somebody else that had a rather rigorous schedule. And one example is in a familiar story of an encounter with a woman at the well who had a divine appointment with the source of living water that Jesus intended to keep. If you remember in John 4, 
1 to 6, we're told the Lord, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus had made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, don't let anyone tell you you have to be baptized to be saved. You should be baptized as an act of obedience, a public declaration of your faith in Christ, symbolizing being dead to your former self and risen again. But listen, since Jesus came to seek and save the lost, but he didn't baptize anybody, that tells us that baptism doesn't save you. That's just a bonus point this morning. Now, listen, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he, what's the next word? He what? He needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the point of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. Therefore, or Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So Jesus needed to go through Samaria. It was well out of his way. It was not convenient. It wasn't the shortest route. And it was to go through an area that Jews did not travel through and avoided at any and every cost. He had to go there because there was a ministry opportunity there. Now, I was thinking back as I was preparing over these past few days, in the early stages of what I initially thought was my career path, the business that I was involved in, I was told by a supervisor one time who gave me a task and I balked at the task because I didn't have time to do it. And I asked him, why are you asking me? Ask somebody who has less things to do. And he said something to me that I've never forgotten. And he said this, when you need something done that absolutely has to be done, look for the busiest person and ask them to do it because they're already getting things done. And the task will get done even though they're busy. Now, on a bit of a side note, we need to recognize that it is God who gives greater tasks to those who are already busy with the small ones. And if we want God to use us for greater things, and we do, if we want God to use us for greater things, we need to be faithful in lesser things. Jesus even stated it exactly as such in Luke 16.10, where he says, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in what? In much. And he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. Now listen, before and after our time of fasting, I've heard over and over and over from some people who came and said, you know what, the Lord spoke to me, I have a word from the Lord. And there were others who spoke unknowingly the same thing. And it was indeed also a word from the Lord. And the recurring thing that has been heard, not just by myself, but other members of the staff and many of you. And that is when we arrive in our new place, God is going to do not just a new thing, but take us to the next level, so to speak, after our move. Now, the word that has come with that is that we, the people of CCT, need to be at what we're called to do now. So we'll be ready to do what he is going to do then. Because the fact is, years ago, my supervisor was right, even in a spiritual way, though he was not a spiritual man. God is going to use for greater things those who are already at work for his name when the greater things come. And I want that to be all of us. Somebody say, now, here's the point from the travels of Paul, the ministry pattern of Jesus. It's very practical and it's a point of realization for us all. Listen this morning. Here's the first of three things. Doing great things for God is often inconvenient and tiring. Nuts and bolts, right? Doing great things for God is often inconvenient and Tiring. And listen, anything we do for God's name, anything we do for God's glory is a great thing. And it matters not the size of the task. And as we see here with Paul, as we saw with Jesus by example in John 4, as we see with the Ephesian elders making a 30-mile walk, not everywhere and everything God calls us to do is going to be convenient for us. And it, even as Jesus arrived at his appointment at the well, he was weary, he was tired from the journey. And yet Galatians tells us, 
And 6, 9, let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And Paul will tell the church at Thessaloniki in 2 Thessalonians 3.13. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in what? In doing good. Now, listen. The best way for us to consider these verses is not in the sense of keep doing good things though you're tired, but rather don't get tired of doing good things. Don't get weary of doing good. It's not always going to be convenient. And it's going to happen at times when you're tired. Sometimes you're going to need to preach when you're sick. Amen? Now, listen this morning. God has done far more for us than we could ever deserve. And there is nothing we have done thus far, nothing we will ever do that would justify us not serving him. He is worthy of lifelong service for you and I. I share this story over the years many times, and I'll share it with some of you this morning who will hear it for the first time about the days early in CCT's history where I would walk down uh, to the beach down at Salt Creek Beach and go down early in the morning when there was nobody there. I especially loved it in the winter when it was cloudy and cold and even a bit drizzly and I would find a comfortable rock and that's an oxymoron obviously and I would sit and I would read my Bible and I would pray. And every single time I went down there, God would speak to me. He would give me a word of encouragement, a word of instruction. Well, I had gone down for I don't know how many of the time. I don't know if many is a word, but it is today. But I went down to the beach and I sat on a rock. I sat with my Bible open. I prayed, I read, I prayed, I read, I prayed, I read, and I heard nothing and I heard nothing And I heard nothing. And finally, the time just kept ticking away, and I realized I needed to get back up to the top of the stairs, which there were, I don't know, seven or eight million stairs, it felt like. Might have been a couple of hundred, but it was a steep climb, and I began my journey back up the steps. And having not heard from the Lord, I was obviously very disappointed and discouraged. And as I reached the top step, I reached the top step in the same condition I reached every other time, huffing and puffing and gasping for air. And as soon as I hit the top step, the Lord spoke to me and he said, that's exactly how I want you to enter my kingdom. Spent for me, worn out for the sake of the gospel, having been all in for my name's sake and kingdom. And that is the word of the Lord for you this morning as well. It's not always going to be convenient to serve the Lord, and sometimes it's going to be very tiring. Sometimes it may take a journey to get to where he has something specific for us to do. And listen, no matter how long we have served, how inconvenient it may be, or how it conflicts with our personal plans or schedules, we are in good company because that's how God has operated down throughout the ages including with Jesus, Paul, and countless saints who have chosen to do great things for God. Don't get tired of or forsake serving the Lord. It's the one thing in this life that is going to matter in the next. As Pastor Chuck used to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Do you believe that this morning? Then God is calling us to a higher level of service to Him. Amen? Now, Look at 17 through 21 once again. They were told again further details about this journey from Miletus. He sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they'd come to him, he said to them, You know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we mentioned, and in line with our first point, Paul summons the elders to come and meet him. He choosing not to stop 
in Ephesus, knowing that a visit again to the city where he had planted a church and nurtured them for two years, he would not be able to get on his way to what he had hoped to do and arrive in, and that being Jerusalem for Pentecost. So he asked them to make the 30-mile trek to meet him so he could say goodbye and offer to them some parting words of both wisdom and testimony. Now, he directs their minds back to the first day of his arrival, and he gives testimony to the fact that he had served the Lord in humility, and this time was laced by seasons of trials and tears because of the plots of his countrymen against him, his fellow Jews. Now, he then reminded them that trials and tears did not transform his message, but rather he kept nothing from them that would be helpful to them. Now the word helpful can also be translated and actually is translated elsewhere in scripture as expedient, depending on the translation you're using. Now, this is vital to a strong finish as Paul isn't saying, I kept nothing back that would help you feel better. He said, I kept Nothing back that would get you moving forward. In other words, he was encouraging them. He was exhorting them. Now he would say to the church at Corinth in 1023 to 21 of the first letter, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are what? Helpful or expedient, other translations offer it. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own but each one the other's well-doing. Now, it's interesting, this Greek word for helpful is sumphero, and again, the context is things that hinder progress, both in our text as well as 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And Paul said, I'm not going to do anything that's going to hinder your progress and usability for God's kingdom and glory. He said, I didn't hold back anything that would keep you from moving forward, nor did I forsake proclaiming to Jew and Greek or Gentile alike of repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this is important to highlight because this is the very definition of the mission of the church, to encourage and influence forward progress and service to God of the saints, and to preach Christ and him crucified to the ain'ts, to use a McGeeism, he divided humanity into saints and ain'ts. Now, aren't you glad that ain'ts can become saints through the power of the blood of Christ? Now, in Ephesians 4, 10 to 16, Paul said this. He himself, speaking of Jesus, gave some to be apostles, meaning some were assigned a responsibility within his kingdom and church, to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for this purpose. The equipping of the saints for the, what's the next word? The work of ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ, there's doing things that help people move forward. Till we all come to unity of the faith and the knowledge of the sons of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But... Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effect of working by which every part does what? I'm sorry, what was that? Its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now, listen this morning. This was very convicting to me when I read through this, even though this particular passage is very familiar to me, and I take it as a responsibility as well as a definition of our purpose uh, of gathering here each Sunday, Wednesday, and all the other studies uh, that happen throughout the week when we come to study the Bible. But what was convicting to me is that if you only leave here with a head full of biblical information, which is a good thing, but don't leave with a heart that is willing and ready to serve, then I have failed you in my assignment. But the fact is, we're told in Mark 16, 15, that Jesus told his disciples to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. Now listen, combining this with what Paul said in Ephesians 4, the ministry of the church or the purpose of church could be described as come and go. 
come to church and be equipped for the work of ministry. Go to the world and preach the gospel after you've been equipped. God's people should come to church to be equipped to go to the world and preach the gospel. And the gospel is defined here by Paul as repentance toward God, meaning turning to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, here's our next key to having a strong finish. And it's something applicable to us as a church as we know God is going to move us to a new facility at some point in time within the next nine and a half months. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Now, here's the thing we need to remember. Destinations don't alter our calling or destiny. Destinations don't alter alter our callings or destiny. Now, Paul had been all over the place and everywhere he went, he did the same thing. And he recounted for the Ephesian elders what he experienced no matter where he went. He was applauded against by the Jews he loved so dearly, but he kept preaching not just to them, but also to the Gentiles. It didn't matter where he was, his calling was the same. And the same is true for you and I. The same is true for us as a church. When we arrive at our new destination, we will have the same calling and definition of church. To come and go. To come here and be equipped. To come here and be encouraged. To come here and be corrected if necessary. To come here and be comforted if necessary. So we can go out and tell the world about Jesus who is our soon coming King. Now... We've had multiple words from the Lord, from multiple sources, again, about this new season we are about to enter. And some have been more specific than others. And some have made the point that they believe that the Lord is leading us to a time through the place he's going to take us to of reaping a harvest of lost souls. Now, that's what the church is to be about. Amen. Now. If you remember in the book of Esther, there was a wicked man named Haman who had plotted against the Jews. And letters were sent by couriers into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill or annihilate all the Jews, young and old, children and women. And one day on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, to plunder their possessions as well. So he was very specific in these instructions. There was coming a day where the Jews were going to be wiped out. If you remember the story, Esther's uncle Mordecai sought to convince Queen Esther to go in to the king, to which she protested, saying, you can't go into the king without invitation, without putting yourself in jeopardy of death. If the king doesn't hold out the scepter, his royal guard will kill those who entered without invitation or permission. Now to that, Mordecai responded in Esther 4, 13 and 17, and said to, uh, told them to answer Esther when he received her reply, Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan, and fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther commanded him. Now, let me remind you of something. God doesn't need any of us. He doesn't need any of us. But he loves all of us. And listen, heaven is not going to be greatly improved upon our arrival. God is there and he is perfect. Amen. Amen. Now, even though God doesn't need any of us, he has chosen to use all of us. His chosen means of reaching a lost and dying world is human to human contact. That's why he told us to go and as individuals preach to other individuals who are Perishing, It is his chosen method of reaching the lost. And listen, if we as an individual don't do it, doesn't mean it won't get done. It just means he'll use somebody else. Now, here's the thing. And please understand when I say the word jealous, that means even as God is a jealous God, he's not jealous of us. He's jealous for us. He is desiring that we'd have a relationship with him. And let me just say this this morning. I'm jealous for God's attention. 
I want his attention to be focused on CCT. I'm jealous for his anointing on this church. I'm glad he's using other churches, but he hasn't called me to pastor them. He's called me to pastor this one. And I am jealous for his anointing on this church. I am jealous for a great awakening to be birthed through this church. I don't want him to choose somebody else. I want him to choose you. I want him to choose me. I want him to pour out his spirit on this church. I don't want him to have to look somewhere else. I want him to use you and I. I want us to change Orange County and California and our nation and world. And listen, we have a prime opportunity coming up that we've been announcing to you. And I'm just going to tell it like it is. You know, I'm usually very careful and try and candy coat everything I say. I'm going to break with my pattern this morning. Listen, we have Tiller Days coming up. And we've been doing this for the 20 plus years that we have been a church. Every single year, we have had a booth at Tiller Days. And every single year, people have been ministered to, people have been prayed for, people have been led to Jesus Christ. And listen, here's where I'm going to take the gloves off for a moment. We've been asking you to sign up for over a month now, and nobody is. And this is why we're here. We are here to reach this county for Jesus Christ. And this is an opportunity, unlike any other, to go into a secular setting. Listen, a couple of years ago, they had a drag queen who was the MC for the awards banquet at this particular um, uh, fair that it's called every year, the Tustin Tiller Days Fair. Listen, we have had across from our booth tarot card readers before. All kinds of crazy things go on there. There's all kinds of things represented there. But listen, God wants his name to be spoken there, and he's called us to do it. So listen, as strongly as I possibly can, let's not let this opportunity pass us by and him choose somebody else to use to lead people to Christ at Tustin Tiller Days. Let's not let this moment slip by. There has been much fruit there for his name's sake and glory. And listen, in light of all that God has done for us, listen this morning, no ministry at this church or any other should have a sign-up list. Every ministry should have a waiting list. There should be people waiting to serve the Lord at their home church in every church. We shouldn't have to plead week after week after week to do something that God has called us to do collectively as a body. We ought to all put our hands to the plow. We ought to all make sure we are coming and then we are going to serve the Lord when we leave. That's it? Okay. Let's look at 22 to 24. I'll put the soapbox away, at least for the moment. 22 to 24. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that things are going to go great for me and I'll have a wonderful time. No, chains and tribulations await me, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of what? The grace of God. Now, the manifestations of persecution are different in our day, to be sure. And uh, in Paul's time and place, there were things he experienced that brought tears and trials. And the attitude of many towards Christianity is exactly the same as in his day. And there are plots against us today, even as there were plots against him. Now, a little news flash for us here. And that is a report that I actually covered on World News Briefing last Thursday. And that is that the California legislature has voted in a resolution that blames religious groups who hold the biblical understandings of sex and gender as responsible for the disproportionately high rates of suicide amongst homosexuals and transgenders. You're blamed and I'm blamed for the suicide rate amongst homosexuals and transgenders. Assembly Concurrent Resolution 99. Now, this is the bill that last year was killed at the end of the year uh, by the assemblymen who submitted it, but it was only so it could be rewritten with stronger language, and we mentioned it back then. Assembly Concurrent Resolution 99 declares that homosexuality and transgenderism are part of natural variations that occur in sexual orientation and gender identity. 
and condemns counseling services that help people resolve unwanted gender confusion or same-sex attraction. The stigma associated with being LGBTQ, often created by groups in society, including therapists and religious groups, has caused disproportionately high rates of suicide, attempted suicide, depression, rejection, and isolation amongst LGBTQ and questioning individuals, it claims. It calls on the people of California, especially counselors, pastors, and religious workers, educators, and legislators to askew and work against anti-LGBTQ stigma. You know, it's interesting that in Sweden, where what this resolution is introducing, the suicide rate amongst the LGBTQ community is the same as it is here in the United States. And that is 19% higher than the national average. Listen, the Holy Spirit is testifying to the church of the last days that in every city where the church takes a stand, the chains and tribulations are awaiting us and the chains are efforts to bind the word of God. The tribulations are things promised to those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. And Paul said, none of those things move me, nor is his life more important than his soul. And many in the church today have been moved. They've been moved away from a truth or from truth and created their own version of Christianity. And the problem is there's only one kind of Christianity and it's biblical Christianity. And the head of the church doesn't change, so the church itself doesn't change. And the ministry Paul received was from the Lord, from Jesus himself, which was to testify, which means to proclaim earnestly the good news of the grace of God. Now, in our day, grace is widely misunderstood, misrepresented, and miscommunicated. And one thing we need to keep in mind in order to stay balanced in our thoughts concerning the grace of God today, and to many, grace is God turning a blind eye to the sins of unrepentant people. Thus, it's created things like universalism, the teaching that everybody goes to heaven because a place like hell is inconsistent with the nature and character of a loving God. But listen, what we need to remember is this, and I haven't said this in a while, but the Lord gave this to me many years ago, actually, when I was... uh, personally sharing with someone. And it's just this, listen, grace is God's method, not God's message. Grace is God's method, not God's message. Now we know this from Ephesians 2.8, for by grace, that's a vehicle, by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Grace is a divine action which allows us access to the saving blood of Jesus and it's a gift of God. Therefore, whosoever will may come. Therefore, Christ died for the sins of the whole world. Amen? Grace is God's method. Listen, here's God's message. In 1 John 1, 5 to 10, John the Beloved, who walked for three and a half years with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in human form here on earth, he said, this is the message we heard from him who could raise the dead and give sight to the blind and ascended into heaven before eyewitnesses. This is what Jesus taught. This is the message from God that we declare to you. And that is that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness or live in sin, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, in truth, light is a metaphor for truth, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, remember confess means to see as or speak of as the same. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from, very important word, all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now listen, the meaning of to say we have not sinned doesn't exclusively mean just out and out denying sin. I've never done anything wrong, though some people would make that claim. The meaning includes rejecting biblically defined sins and redefining them as acceptable within the Christian faith and church. Now, that's why it's important to understand what confess means to see of or speak of as to see as or speak of as the same. In other words, if you're a born again Christian, you don't argue with God's doctrines and theology of scripture. 
You don't deny that what he has defined as sin is actually sin. Because the Bible says, those who say what God has said is a sin is not a sin, don't have the word of God in them. Now, let's put this back in the point form and wrap things up so you can go sign up for Tiller Days. You ready? Another simplistic truth, but it's an instruction. Listen, a strong finish is possible by getting back to how the church began. A strong finish is possible by getting back to how the church began. Because destinations don't change our callings and testimony or destiny. We have the same responsibility that the early church has. We have the same power that the early church had. We have the same God who fell on them as cloven tongues of fire and empowered them to be witnesses in these last days as the early days of the church. And we see this reminder in the letter to the church at Ephesus, when the church was under a hundred years old, the Lord said in Revelation 2, 1 to 7, to the angel of the church at Ephesus, write these things, says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. And have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience. Please note, Jesus is commending them for things that are viewed as negative in these last days. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you what? Repent, but this you also have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. I want to eat from that tree, don't you? Now, listen, being a church hasn't changed. As we tell the world about the one we are for, we also tell the world what he is against. We stand against false apostles, not with them. We expose evil. We don't welcome it. And Jesus warns Ephesus that they are in danger of becoming a dead organization instead of a living organism that is motivated and directed by love. Love both for him and love for the lost in a dying world. Now... The methods through which we present the message have changed. They didn't have screens and projectors and uh, lights and all the things that we enjoy today that highlight and uh, point to the message that we are proclaiming. You couldn't tweet it. You couldn't Facebook post it in that day, but we can do it today. But the message is the same yesterday, today, and forever because the head of the church is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the church does not bow, nor is it subject to cultural trends or governmental demands. Destinations don't change our callings and destiny. Wherever we are, we do what the church did at its inception. Sometimes serving God is inconvenient, but it's always worth it. Sometimes we'll be weary in the work, but we should never weary of the work. And in Acts 2, 42 to 47, we're told they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrines. I think we've been faithful at that, teaching the word of God. Amen? Fellowship, we're pretty good at that too, which always includes the breaking of bread. And in prayers, then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had needs. Now this isn't instituting a communal practice within the church. It's just stating we need to be uh, taking care of one another. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church, how often? Daily. Those who were being saved. You see, they had a come and go perception of the church's mission and purpose. This is how the church started. And this is how the church can have a strong finish. With every part doing its share and God adding to the church daily those whom he is saving through his chosen means of person to person proclamation of the gospel truth. Listen this morning. The finish line is in sight. 
We can see the day approaching according to Hebrews 10.25. And even the day and seemingly the hour is at hand. So listen, let's have a strong finish. Amen? Let's finish well. And listen, I hope you received the exhortation this morning. And, you know, I remember somebody said to, I don't remember, I wasn't actually there, but I read that somebody said to Billy Sunday, I'm sure it was a euphemism or colloquialism of the day, where somebody said to Billy after he preached, well, you rubbed the cat the wrong way today. And he said, well, turn the cat around. So I hope maybe we turn the cat around this morning. There's opportunities for us to serve, and he's worthy of our all-out, bone-tired, weary, inconvenient service, because he alone is worthy of our praise and sacrifice, and do, and he has glory to his name. Amen? And Father, again, we are thankful this morning for this exhortation from your word. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the timing. And Lord, thank you for the wonderful things you've been telling us uh, through your spirit and through your word about what awaits us, even in this season of weirdness and change, God. You want to use us, which is amazing to us. So we want to say, yes, here we are. Send us, use us. Bring glory to your name through us as a collective body and as individual saints. And Lord, as we come to be equipped, may we go to proclaim with boldness. Repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. Help us to be faithful in that, Lord. And help us to take advantage of every opportunity in the midst of our busy schedules and the inconveniences that it causes to us. Lord, help us not to look at them in that manner Even as the Ephesian elders didn't gripe about a 30-mile walk, they said, we've got a chance to say goodbye and hear from Paul. We're going to take advantage of that. And Lord, we have chances to serve you, the great king, the king of all, the prince of peace, the son of God. And we pray, Lord, that we would take advantage and even reprioritize and reschedule in order to serve you. For Lord, we thank you for those great words that Pastor Chuck so often repeated and we did this morning. Life will be over before we know it. And only what we do for you will last. Only what we do for you will make a difference in eternity. So help us, Lord, to be mindful of these things in the midst of all we have pressuring us for our time and pressuring us to be silent. Help us to stand fast, having done all to stand that you may receive glory through CCT and everyone that calls at home, whether in person or online. We pray your blessings on us as you use us. And God, we thank you this morning for newness of life. We thank you that old things have passed away. We thank you that all things have become new. There's new goals, new visions, new efforts on our behalf for your glory. And help us not to ignore or forsake them. For we don't want you to have to raise up another church to do what you called us to do. So we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity this morning to be encouraged. And thank you that your word didn't hold hold back that which was helpful or expedient to move us forward. We give you praise. We give you thanks. We give you glory. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.